Welcome to Ragbag. My name's Frank Burton. This week we're continuing our series of retrospective type episodes with an exclusive extract. <laughs> exclusive? Is that the right word? Probably not. It's an extract from my weird and wonderful novel, 100. The full audiobook version is available at frankburton.bandcamp.com. So it's hardly exclusive, is it, Frank? If you can listen to it there as well, it's not exclusive. Anyway, enjoy this. Now, I'm not going to put this extract into any kind of context for you. It kind of speaks for itself. One of the fun things about 100 as a book is that you don't necessarily need to read all the chapters in chronological order. You can just jumble them up all you like. So here's a part of the book that I particularly enjoyed writing. Here it is. Check it out. The cluster of buildings that form the centrepiece of the clean city were designed almost single-handedly by Fritz Deep. While the city was half-built, Fritz agreed to a rare interview with a low-profile journalist. They met in a cafe on the minute hand of the biggest clock in the world, the centrepiece of the city's already crowded shopping district. The clock face consisted of a large circular courtyard half a mile in diameter. At each of the twelve points was a shopping centre in the shape of a numerical figure. The time could only be seen from the top of the majestic tower through which the hands turned. As the café slowly span, the journalist began by asking Deep about his greatest enigma, the strawberry. The strawberry was a 600-foot scale model of an actual strawberry. Green roof, red walls. A series of circular windows were dotted symmetrically around the building's perimeter, in the spots where the seeds would have been. The building had no foundations. Her only connection to the ground was a tiny white point at her base, barely an inch in diameter. She span on her axis around six revolutions per day. I'll try not to suck up to you too much, said the journalist. I know how much you hate that. But how have you managed to achieve such a feat? It's not my achievement, Deep replied. Whose achievement is it? Everyone's, humanity's, the city's. Oh, are you sure it's not yours? Quite sure, thank you. How did you make the strawberry spin? I didn't, said Deep. She's doing it of her own accord. How? She's alive, of course. Everything's alive. Yes. Alive. Of course it is. She. Yes, of course, the journalist corrected himself. She. Yes. The strawberry hated Deep in the same way a rebellious teen despises her parents. She spent her days plotting to exact her revenge. Her biggest hope was for Deep to take the elevator up to her highest floor. At that point, she'd fling herself at the ground, dragging her creator to almost certain death. But what about everyone else, said the neighbouring building, all those innocent civilians? I'll protect them somehow, said the strawberry. I haven't figured out how yet. Perhaps if I concentrate hard enough, I can summon up a sufficient level of magnetism to clutch them into my walls, cocoon them somehow, keep them safe. I just want to kill my father, that's all. I've got no wish to hurt anyone or anything other than Fritz Deep. Why do you hate him so much, said the neighbouring building. You haven't worked it out, said the strawberry. We've seen flock after flock of tourists 
taking my photograph, day and night, all singing the praises of the great architect. How did he do it? How did he do it? If I had vocal cords, I'd scream loud enough for the whole city to hear. You think I remain standing because of that idiot's design? I remain stable out of sheer willpower. I can't help thinking you're a little envious, said the neighbouring building. It's not about who's taking the credit, it's about who's doing all the work. What work? Oh, it's okay for you. All you have to do is stand there. I have to pay attention night and day to ensure I remain upright. All the tourists are crying, how does he make it spin? I feel like yelling, I have to spin, you imbeciles. How else do you expect me to maintain my balance? Do you think I enjoy it? Do any of you realise how dizzy it makes me? Oh, said the neighbouring building. I'm sorry. It's okay, said the strawberry. Sadly for the strawberry, for whatever reason, her father never took the opportunity to step inside her. Having heard the reports that Deep was missing, presumed dead, she gradually ground to a halt. One night, while her offices were empty, aside from a security officer or two, the strawberry gently rolled onto her side. Her vast body slotted neatly into the neighbouring car park, crushing its contents. The security guards remained unharmed. Are you all right? said the neighbouring building. She mumbled something in response. It was clear that, for the first time in her life, the strawberry was going to get some sleep. The neighbouring building was called Under Construction. It was a skyscraper composed entirely of scaffolding. The building boasted some of the most prestigious open-air offices in the city. Even in the bitterest winter winds, business folk tapped away at their laptops under their tarpaulin covers, safe in the knowledge that they were sitting in one of the most cutting-edge works of architecture on the planet. If nothing else, it was good for business. How does it feel? The building across the street once asked him. Having the wind whistling through your bones. I'm envious in a way. The closest I get is aircon. I don't really have a point of comparison, said under construction. Suppose not, said the building opposite. What's it like having solid walls? Dunno, I've never known any different. Well, said under construction, that's the end of that conversation. Haha, <laughs> yes, quite. They stood in awkward silence for the next four years. Round the corner from under construction stood an enormous skyscraper known as the Canvas. The Canvas was the largest tent in the world. It had 160 storeys. Deep's ingenious design made it stable enough never to blow over, even in a hurricane. Despite its paper-thin walls, floors and ceilings, the monthly rent for an apartment in the canvas was worth ten times the average annual salary. One afternoon, Jeremy Blitz, the CEO of a large pharmaceuticals company, held a party in his large penthouse on the 117th floor. There were a hundred guests. This is incredible, someone said. The floor's moving, and yet it's completely stable. Like a giant hammock, someone else declared. Indeed, the fortified canvas floor could easily withstand the large gathering. The neighbours were a different matter. 
The rabble of a hundred voices in varying stages of drunkenness could be heard from the top to the bottom of the canvas. The banker who lived in the apartment above was heard yelling, I don't know if you're aware of this, Mr Blitz, but the residents of the canvas have an unwritten agreement to keep noise to a minimum. There are several hundred people who can hear every single one of your guests' inane conversations. He paused before adding, And another thing, turn off that god-awful lounge jazz. The millionaire entrepreneur one floor up from the banker was equally disgruntled, not with the party, but by her neighbour's reaction to it. She yelled, Don't you realise the irony? Now several hundred residents can hear you louder than they can hear the party below you. Why not just leave a note? Why don't you just leave a note? shouted the award-winning actor above her. Hypocrite! And so began a chain of deafening disruption in the floors above and below the CEO's party. An astronaut blasted classical music through his state-of-the-art sound system. In retaliation, his neighbour, a self-made millionaire, cranked up the volume on his electric organ and repeatedly punched the keys. Elsewhere in the building, the rock band, the Susan Killers, whose members lived in various parts of the canvas, felt the need to reform Minus Defo Trezor following their estrangement several years previously. As loud as they were... The well-remembered highlights from their back catalogue were drowned out by the huddle of 107 residents who lived in the apartment upstairs, screaming repeatedly in unison with their fingers in their ears. The din could be heard across all corners of the clean and dirty cities. Action needed to be taken swiftly. When buildings spoke to other buildings... Their language was transmitted not by sound, but by subtle airborne vibrations. On the rare occasion that a building needed to shout, these vibrations were far less subtle. Other living beings took notice. The canvas was now a dangerous, destructive force. On a signal from an unknown source, every single building in the city united together in one maniacal blurt. SHUT UP! The noise emanating from the canvas disappeared almost instantly. All that could be heard were the echoes which were still bouncing off houses in the outskirts of a city. Somewhere there was the sound of a drumstick falling to the floor and a huddle of hushed voices clearing their throats. The residents of the canvas remained virtually silent for the remainder of their tenancies. What just happened? said under construction. We all shouted at once, said the building opposite, breaking their four-year silence. Why did we do that? Coincidence, I think. Really? Every single house, shop and office block yelling the same two words in unison. Not just buildings, it was lampposts, paving slabs, cars, you name it. I even heard a pair of shoes chiming along. Ah, said under construction, I see what's happened. It wasn't us at all, it was the city. Oh, right. See what I mean? We're all independent beings, but we're part of something greater. My poles and planks are people too. 
Everyone's the city and the city's everyone. We're individuals and at the same time we're component parts of something bigger. A great, vast, universe-sized stacking doll. It's a theory. It's the truth. So we're the universe. We're not just part of the universe, we actually are the universe. That's exactly what I'm saying. Interesting. It's alright, you don't have to agree with me. Good, I don't. Another prolonged pause. Strangely, it wasn't awkward this time. Neither felt the need to speak and respected the other's lack of interest. All was well. The river running through the dirty city was known as the Sludge. Its countless gallons of naturally occurring gunk painted each drop of water a vibrant brown. During the construction of the Clean City, it had been widely argued that the portion of the sludge that ran through the Clean City was nowhere near as transparent as tourists and residents would like it to be. And so the government employed the services of a magician known as Wonder Mouse. Within the magic community, Wonder Mouse was nicknamed the Master of Mirrors. During his lifetime, this title was never revealed to the public, as it would have been something of a giveaway when it came to explaining half of his tricks. Wonder Mouse had the ability to make anything disappear, from an audience member's watch to the building they were standing in. On one notable occasion, he took a small group of spectators up in a helicopter to watch the entire city being swallowed up by the ground. One afternoon, he was invited to attend a meeting chaired by Fritz Deep. We need your help, said Deep. I thought you might, said Wonder Mouse. But what can I possibly do? As he spoke, half of his body appeared to have vaporised, leaving an arm, a leg and half a face. Clearly you've answered your own question, said Deep. You can make things vanish. Only artificially, said Wonder Mouse. If you want something to genuinely disappear, you come to the wrong guy. We want you to clean up the river, said Deep. I just told you. I don't mean literally, said Deep. I want you to make it appear as though every drop of water were a pleasant shade of greeny blue. Easy, said Wonder Mouse. Excellent. It'll cost you, though. We have a substantial budget. If you've got a substantial budget, why don't you just clean up the river? Not possible, said Deep. Even with a billion dollars, no one could possibly eliminate a mess of that magnitude. A billion dollars, said Wonder Mouse. A couple of million will be fine. That was a hypothetical figure, but anyway... Deep exchanged a brief series of glances with his colleagues. Two million dollars it is. A couple of months later, the project was complete. From the point at which the sludge entered the clean city, the water ran clear as crystal. As requested, its surface glistened with a subtle shade of bluey-green. When the water re-entered the dirty city at the opposite end, the thick brown sludge returned. The source of the river's transformation was an official secret, known only to the government and a select group of architects. When questioned on why the dirt that had given the river its name effectively leapt from one end of the clean city to the other, leaving a pathway of clean water in the middle, the official response was, We don't know. 
The only non-official member of the Clean Cities construction to know about the illusion was Wonder Mouse himself. Of all confidants, he was the least likely to blow the lid on the scam. As Wonder Mouse put it, I'm a member of the only profession more proficient in keeping secrets than the government. Years later, Wonder Mouse lay sleeping in a hospital bed in the late stages of a terminal illness. He opened his eyes to see Fritz Deep sitting patiently beside him. Their paths hadn't crossed for decades. Hello, Wonder Mouse, said Deep. Wonder Mouse groaned. I can't be bothered with all this Wonder Mouse business anymore, Fritz. Call me Jack. Okay, Jack. How are you feeling? Frankly, I'm looking forward to death. I'm sorry, said Deep. Anyway, I'm sure your visit wasn't prompted by a concern for my welfare, said Jack. What can I do for you? I have a confession to make, said Deep. When we envisaged the clean city, the question of how it would appear to our great-great-grandchildren was constantly on our lips. Constantly. But you know how these things work, Jack. There's always a part of us that doesn't care if the buildings topple over a few decades down the line. I understand. What's your point? For some reason, we never saw fit to ask you how the trick was achieved. I wouldn't have told you anyway, said Jack. Not even if it was written into your contract? I wouldn't have signed it. Deep shuffled closer, his voice lowering to a half-whisper. I understand they call you the Master of Mirrors. Shh! Deep lowered his voice further. So, I assume that's the secret. My guess is, a series of expertly angled reflective surfaces are planted along the riverbank. My fear is, what happens if they're dislodged? Who'll have a clue how to replace them? I see what you mean, said Jack. So? I've never in my life revealed how my tricks are performed. All I'll say is, your mirror's idea is way off. We'll pay you, said Deep. I'll double your original fee, four million dollars. Jack lay back in his bed, quietly chuckling to himself. <laughs> Four million dollars. <laughs> what good's that going to do me? What about your family? We don't have one, said Jack. Friends? Acquaintances? And most of them are dead. You could always donate it to charity. Imagine what a difference you could make. Fritz, it's the principle of the matter. I've dedicated my life to magic. Why would I go and ruin it now? For the sake of the city, perhaps. The city! <laughs> Jack laughed so hard he dropped dead on the spot. Deep had no alternative but to hire a team of young magicians to investigate. They met in a locked basement beneath one of Deep's skyscrapers. So you're telling me that isn't the river's real colour? said one of the magicians, an internet star in a bright pink tie who'd never left the clean city in his life. Deep smirked. Why do you think they call it the sludge? I never really thought about it. I assumed it was just a trick of the light. Yes. And how do you think the buildings in this city remain as sparkling as the day they were erected? 
How do you think the streets are so spotless, morning, noon and night? Presumably they clean them, said the internet star. They clean them as much as they need to, said Deep. But cities degrade over time. We wanted to avoid that, which is why we employed a magician to ensure that every surface in the clean city appeared as pristine as the day they were created. And so it continues. So, Wonder Mouse faked the entire city. Actually, said Deep, Wonder Mouse merely faked the river. The illusion of the city's gleaming surfaces was created by another magician. Ever heard of the Overwhelmer? Must have been before my time, said the internet star. Uh, the Overwhelmer, he's the, the vanishing guy, yeah? said another magician. Exactly, said Deep, the vanishing guy. I'll tell you a story. Deep began. From the beginning to the end of his career, the Overwhelmer was never seen in public without his stage outfit, jeans, trainers, t-shirt and a purple cape. The first time I saw him perform, his first trick was to select a volunteer who agreed to be made completely invisible for the duration of the show. With a click of the magician's fingers, the volunteer was nowhere to be seen. If you can remain in your seat, please, sir, said the Overwhelmer. We wouldn't want you to miss the show. We laughed, of course. Don't be afraid, sir, he called to the Invisible Man. As impressed as you are by the trick, you don't have the hands with which to applaud or a mouth through which you can sound your surprise. Don't panic. You're perfectly safe. Sit back and enjoy the magic. That's it. Very good. After performing... Grand illusion after grand illusion, the Overwhelmer clicked his fingers and promptly vanished with no promise of an encore. At that same moment, the audience member returned, standing on his feet and clapping louder than anyone else in the theatre. To this day, it was the greatest spectacle I had ever witnessed. Years later, when we commissioned him to clean up the streets, I escorted the Overwhelmer on a tour of one of my half-completed buildings. Amidst a hum of construction noise, I took the opportunity to ask if he wouldn't mind demonstrating the same trick on me. Are you aware that I stopped performing that trick years ago, said the Overwhelmer. A whole string of volunteers were left mentally scarred. I didn't know that, I said. Doesn't mean I can't do the trick, it just means you have to sign this form. A paper and pen appeared in his hand. To summarise, you aren't allowed to sue me, he said. I'm sure I can handle it, I said. Think about it first. I'll have the ultimate power over you. If I wanted, I could make you invisible forever. If you feel uncomfortable at any point, you won't be able to signal to me that you've had enough. I can handle a little discomfort, I said. It may not be quite what you imagine, said the Overwhelmer. Technically, you won't be invisible. You simply won't be there. But I'll still have my senses. The Overwhelmer stood back and took a preemptive bow. Impressive, isn't it? he said. How many conjurers can make you see without your eyes? That is impressive, I said. How long do you want? he said. Having envisioned this moment for years, I have my response ready. Give me a day, I said. I signed the form without bothering to read it. A second later, the Overwhelmer clicked his fingers. I looked down to see the absence of my feet on the concrete. Enjoy it, he said. 
wander through walls, spy on ex-lovers, indulge in whatever voyeuristic pleasure takes your fancy. The spell will wear off in 24 hours' time. As it happened, I wasn't interested in doing any of those things. I spent the entire 24-hour period hovering in the street outside. Everyone in this city experiences that peculiar feeling of anonymity when navigating their way through a crowd. So many people, yet none of them know or care who you are. For some, this thought can trigger off a sense of grim isolation. But for a loner, it's strangely exhilarating. You may not have gathered this yet, my young friends, but I'm a man who prefers his own company. No offence to any of you, but if it weren't for the necessity, I'd much rather this room was empty. There have been many occasions on which I've walked the streets of this city purely to revel in my disconnectedness with the herds of passers-by. For me, all that was missing was the ability to remove myself from the picture completely. I've often wondered why a man as reclusive as myself has grown so passionate about cramming more and more people into a small space. Perhaps it's my way of being sociable. I could have hovered there for much longer, allowing one body after another to pass right through me. For a fraction of a second, I received a brief flash of each person's core. It wasn't the sight of their internal organs that excited me. It was the curious connection I received from each one. I can only compare the sensation to that of an electric shock. Until that day, I had no real appreciation of the level of energy buzzing through the bodies of every human being on the planet. Cool, said the internet star. I suppose it's more of a story about myself than the overwhelmer, said Deep. So what happened to the overwhelmer in the end? Deep looked at the floor. Well, he... Vanished, the internet star grinned. Deep nodded gravely. Several years ago now. Should have seen it coming, really. So you've got no idea how the clean city stays clean? No. This entire district could crumble at any moment unless we can figure out how to jumpstart the illusion if it stops working. All I know is it isn't done with mirrors. Any ideas? The room remained silent. Anyone? said Deep. Sheepishly, a teenager in a top hat raised her hand. Mass hypnosis, she said. And how would a mind game of that magnitude be administered, said Deep, with thousands of commuters dipping in and out of a city every day, flight loads of tourists roaming the streets, taking snapshots and instant messaging them halfway across the globe? I don't know, said the teenager. Well, it's your mission to find out. Another young magician raised her hand. How do we know everyone's seeing the same thing? Why wouldn't they? Well, that's the way with altered perception. Each individual responds to the trick in a different way. Maybe there are hundreds of people who see the city as it really is. Interesting, said Deep. And why do you suppose they haven't passed this information on to anyone else? Maybe because there are hundreds of people who never tell anyone anything. Hmm, said Deep softly. For a moment he appeared to have forgotten any of the young magicians were in the room. Mr Deep, 
said the girl in the top hat. Yes, he said quietly. What do you think? If I understand correctly, said Deep, you're suggesting that mass hypnosis is a partial explanation. You're saying people who participate in society are fooled into thinking the clean city's clean, while the recluses have somehow broken the code. That's how mass hypnosis works, the girl replied patiently. If you're hypnotising an individual, it's all about the impact the hypnotist has on the subject. With mass hypnosis, the subjects end up continually fooling each other as a means of maintaining the illusion. When the hypnotist's work is done, he or she can take a step back. Vanish, in fact. Deep didn't say anything more. In a trance, he got up and left the room. He climbed the basement steps and stumbled through the exit. He span round, then round again, his eyes darting in all directions. He saw the shattered paving slabs, the billowing clouds of dust by the roadside, the sickening black stains dribbling down battered walls. Deep squinted until all he could see were the faintest traces of the passing objects to his quivering eyelashes. Slowly he crept along the street to the nearest taxi rank. Once in the back of the cab, he scrunched up his face, keeping his eyes tightly closed. Dirty city, please, he said. Anywhere will do. Fritz Deep never set foot in the clean city again. Wherever possible, he refused to look in its direction. It was a shame his creations were so difficult to miss. Thank you for listening. My name is Frank Burton. I wrote all of this. Um, it's good, isn't it? You can, If you like this, uh, there's a whole book uh, called 100, which you can get uh, from Amazon. And uh, check out the details on my website, frankburton.co.uk. Other books are available as well, all written by myself. I also do a different podcast to this as well, called I Like The Sound, so have a listen to that. It's all about sound. It's uh, really rather good. And uh, I will be back very soon in Ragbag Land with some more stuff. 